Chapter Eighteen of Barry Blake of the Flying Fortress by Gaylord Dubois. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eighteen: Adrift. The moment that Barry's wheels touched the wave-packed sand, he knew he had made no mistake. The beach was hard and smooth enough for a takeoff. Best of all, its length at low tide made a runway as perfect as could be wished. A hundred feet from Crail's bomber, Barry stopped his plane everybody out and swing her around he cried unfastening his safety belt maybe we won't have to take off in a hurry but we're going to be prepared glenn crail and his six teammates were standing rather gloomily beside their ship evidently they had been laying full blame for their predicament on the pilot crail's sulky handsome face was flushed with anger as he glared at the newly arrived crew couldn't you find a beach of your own to set down on he snarled or did you just want to be chummy if you came to bum gas you're out of luck blake our tanks are dry barry ignored him with a pleasant nod of greeting he spoke to the other crew's navigator a blond worried-looking chap we came down to ask if you fellows wanted a ride home he said of course if you had any gas left it would help but i think we still have enough left to take both crews back to base what do you say the other's worried frown vanished what can we say except thanks he answered heartily it's pretty swell of you to risk a landing on this beach just to pick us up that's right the co-pilot agreed this island is enemy territory you could have just gone on and reported us forced down here why you didn't do that after what happened an hour ago i can't understand forget it smiled barry blake help us turn our plane round and pile in we don't want to hang around here till some jap patrol plane finds us coming crail no blurted the other pilot furiously tonight there'll be a chance to find a jap boat or plane along shore and transfer its gas if none of my crew has the nerve to take that chance with me i'll do it alone there was no answering such a crack-brained statement crail's proposition hadn't one chance in ten thousand of accomplishment even with a full crew to help him barry turned away with a shrug crail's crew followed him the combined teams lifted the tail of Barry's plane and walked it around. Now the bomber was facing in the direction from which she had come. As Barry Blake stooped to crawl through the belly hatch, Crail's co-pilot, Ted Landis, stopped him. "'Wait a minute, Skipper,' he said. "'Crail was lying when he told you our tanks were dry. We have nowhere near enough gas to reach Port Darwin, thanks to his stunting, but if we put it with yours, we'd all be sure of getting home. Shall we get it now?' Barry hesitated. What Ted Landis proposed was common sense. On the other hand, Crail would certainly prefer charges of mutiny, assault, and everything else he could contrive if they drained the tank of his plane against his orders. All right, Landis, the young fortress skipper decided. We'll do that, and we'll take Crail along, whether he wants to come or not. We can all testify that he is not behaving like a sane man drain off the tanks mister and let's get away from here the minute it's transferred to our tanks the crew of the stranded bomber hurried back to it at landis heels ignoring crail the co-pilot and his engineer dived into the open hatch the others stood beside it blocking their furious skipper's way i'll have you all court-martialed cray shouted completely beside himself stand away from that hatch look out yelled a member of his crew here come the japs they're on to us the droning of airplane engines swelled to a snarling roar 
over the treetops came a twin-engined mitsubishi bomber but she was not heading toward the two b-26s evidently she had just taken off from tanimbar on patrol with no idea that enemy planes were so near her jap crewmen were probably more surprised than the americans swerving she opened fire with her bow and belly weapons as she started her climb man those guns yelped crail that jap will be back for us inside with you without a second's hesitation the team obeyed a moment before they had defied his orders but this was different in a fight they'd stand by their skipper crazy or not barry's team was already inside his marauder's engines bellowed like a startled seagull she swept down the long straight beach as barry lifted her into the air he saw the mitsubishi coming back good grief he gasped she's going over crail's plane at a thousand feet she's going to bomb as well as strafe it climbing as he turned he was still too far from the jap for his fifty calibers to take effect in a matter of seconds the mitsubishi would drop her bomb at point-blank range the stranded marauder's crew wouldn't have a chance evidently one member of crail's team had realized this and decided to save his own skin he was running for dear life toward the jungle as tracer bullets began streaking past him he flung himself flat leaning hard on the controls barry fairly whipped his plane round already chick enders was firing his bow gun the two weapons in the top turret were raving riddle the jap barry shouted don't let him drop that egg oh the slender deadly shape of a falling bomb had caught his eye to the agonized nerves of the watchers its descent seemed as slow as a falling leaf's deliberately its pointed end dipped downward aiming straight at crail's doomed plane barry did not wait for the explosion with his jaw set like a rock he headed his b-26 for the enemy the bomb's blast barely jolted the air around him catch the nip before he loses himself in the clouds chick enders muttered reaching for a new belt of ammunition he's trying to run from us and that's his only chance he won't make it chick barry replied through clenched teeth we're more than a hundred miles faster you boys in the turret start ripping that mitsu's belly now the turret guns chattered a second later chick's bow gun joined them the marauder was overtaking her enemy as if he were anchored smoke burst from the jap's fuselage flames licked at his left engine he staggered like a wing-shot goose under the slashing american fire his guns were still talking back but their aim was nervous and poor all at once a great ball of flame appeared just behind the jap's wings and his nose dropped seaward swathed in fire he plummeted into the water barry banked sharply turning back toward the island the bombed b-26 was blazing on the beach at the jungle's edge a lone figure lay motionless they're all dead skipper hap newton muttered let's go home before the nips send out a flock of zeros to shoot us up wait barry blake exclaimed sharply that bird on the beach isn't dead yet i saw him move barry swung away in a big circle and came in toward the end of the beach the others of his team realized what he intended he was going to land regardless of risk to save the neck of a coward who had deserted his fighting crewmates at best it meant that they all would fail to reach port darwin on the gas that would be left at worst the zeros from tanimbar would catch and strafe them on the beach yet not a man questioned their skipper's decision each one was ready to back up barry's judgment with his life 
the crew of sweet rosie o'grady would remain a smoothly functioning unit as long as it existed barry's second landing was as careful as his first rolling as near to the burning bomber as he dared he set the brakes and followed hap newton through the hatch the man they had come to rescue was sitting up about fifty yards away it's crail the yellow pup hap grated it would be chick bitterly exclaimed i always knew a hot pilot of his stripe would be a quitter when the real tests came barry blake said nothing as he helped his crew turn the plane round for a quick take-off he was wondering whether crail's dazed manner was real or faked a trickle of blood from the pilot's forehead suggested a head wound the man was mumbling unintelligibly when they reached him barry's fingers quickly explored the gash in the injured man's scalp Crail winced, but voiced no protest. The wound Barry found was no more than a shallow cut. Nowhere else on Crail's clothing did he see any sign of blood. Shell-shocked, was the young skipper's verdict. His mind has snapped, fellows. Maybe he'll get over it shortly, but just now we'll have to treat him like a baby. Help me carry him back to the plane, Hap. Let me, skipper, Fred Marmon said, taking Barry's place. I've been feeling useless ever since that Mitsubishi torched down despite their awkward burden they broke into a run conscious that any second might bring the snarling of zero engines overhead and a hail of tracer bullets barry first into the belly hatch turned to lift crail's shoulders through the low door mickey rourke the last man glanced up before ducking inside here they come sir he cried as he dived through the opening five zeros flying low from tanambar the bomber's engine pulled her down the runway like a scared shadow her guns were spitting before she was in the air. One Jap exploded above her, and the others scattered briefly. As the B-26 climbed, they came in from all angles, stabbing at her with their tracers. Again and again Barry's plane was needled by bullets. Twice she received shell hits as she roared up toward the sheltering cloud ceiling. A second Zero fell away with his engine smoking. Then a shell hit Mickey Rourke's tail gun barry heard the little irishman's yell over the intercom and guessed its meaning he zoomed sharply the last thing that the pursuing jap expected fred marmon's gun blasted the nip plane an instant before the b-26 plunged into the clouds we'll just stay here for a while barry declared the jap bullets missed my instrument panel we can fly in any direction we choose as long as our gas lasts what's your suggestion curly wait till i glance at my chart replied the navigator there's a mass of little islands at the southwest of us part of the babar group we might set down there unobserved especially if the ceiling is low of course we'll take big chances on finding a place to land a moment later he gave the compass course barry who was flying due southwest made the necessary correction how far is the island we're aiming at he asked about a hundred miles curly told him it's not one island but a nest of little ones the japs are less likely to have them guarded good reasoning barry commented i'm flying at a steady two hundred miles per hour figure out just when we'll be six or eight miles from the nearest island and let me know i'm setting down on the water if this crate fills and sinks too quickly we'll drown with her but it's worth the risk we'll probably be able to reach our rubber boats in that case we can keep out of sight of jap shore patrols until dark and then paddle to land skipper said hap newton solemnly i wish i had half of your brains in your place i'd probably have tried to land 
of course the japs would spot the plane sooner or later and the hunt would be on this way we'll have a swell chance of foxing them we'll still be three hundred miles from port darwin chick ender spoke up maybe we can swipe a jap motor launch some night don't be so modest hat broke in why not a plane while we're about it i'd rather take a chance of getting shot down by our own fighters than be potted like a sitting duck on the water by jap zeros hold it down fellas barry blake ordered brusquely we're hitting the pond in a very few minutes get out of your parachute harnesses and grab a brace fred you and soapy babbitt loosen the topside hatch so it won't jam when we come down mickey rourke will come forward so he won't be trapped in the tail if things go wrong hap stand by those levers that spring the rubber rafts curly the minute you give the signal we'll cut the engines and nose down there were no more wisecracks barry's crew obeyed orders without wasting a motion and waited quietly for the next development only hap newton spoke during those last minutes of flight i'll take care of crail skipper he said he'll be easy to handle dazed as he is i'll inflate his life jacket and boost him through the hatch ready skipper curly's warning came a few moments later time to go downstairs hap newton cut the throttles as the engine's roar died out the plane's nose dipped seaward when they broke through the low ceiling the water rolled barely a thousand feet beneath the ocean barry noted with thankfulness was calm except for a long smooth ground swell he must time his landing so as to set his ship down in the middle of a watery valley thus he could kill her forward motion against the waning slope of the swell ahead and the shell-torn bomber might float for a good many seconds if he should miscalculate and strike a crest his plane would dive like a fish one glance only he spared for the island that lay nearest a full six miles away it was tiny little larger than a city park the japs might have posted a guard or two on it but at this distance they could easily fail to notice a bomber landing on the water with a dead stick the long oily swells now swept along barely a hundred feet below him barry picked the valley where he must try to set down this is it fellows he warned every man in the plane except crail held his breath the next seconds seemed age long and then came the shock fixtures flew from the bulkhead above the radio panel green water poured in through the shell holes in the bomb bay it roused the half-stunned men to desperate action hap newton had already sprung the rubber life rafts these were now floating on either side of the plane attached to it by light lines soapy babbitt and fred marmon were first through the topside hatch by barry's orders next came mickey rourke the little tail gunner before climbing out mickey tossed a queer-looking bundle to the men outside it was a long oilskin covered parcel wrapped in a may west life jacket don't let it get away from yez he grunted as he pulled himself up that bundle may be worth the lives of all of us before we're through chick enders was the fourth man out curly levitt the fifth they crouched on the slippery rolling fuselage and reached down to take crail's limp weight from hap newton and barry hurry you two chick shouted this crate's sinking fast salt water was already three feet deep in the cockpit as barry turned sharply on his co-pilot up with you mister he snapped i'm last for the first and only time hap newton was guilty of an act of mutiny he seized barry in a gorilla-like grip and literally hurled him through the opening overhead you're worth three of me skipper he panted in everything but pounds 
on top of the waterlogged plane barry twisted himself around like a cat to face the hatch hap's head and shoulders were over the edge as the bomber's nose dipped suddenly quick you idiot the young skipper cried she's going under what's holding you hap my feet the co-pilot gasped they're tangled in a parachute harness or something don't wait for me skipper barry grabbed the bigger man beneath the arms his feet found a purchase on the hatch combing with every muscle of his body straining he added his strength to hap newton's now the thought wrenched at his brain something's got to give way it did like a cork from a bottle hap's big body popped out of the hatch both men went under water breathless stroking for dear life they fought to reach the surface the water seemed like a living enemy clutching them pulling them down their lungs were on fire they broke surface together gasping not far from one of the rafts fred marmon's whoop of joy blended with the splash of paddles the plane where'd it go hap newton gulped to davy jones locker fred answered as he reached past crail to grasp the co-pilot's hand we thought it had sucked you and the skipper down with it End of chapter eighteen